So with this background, we come to the prayer of Jabez, verse 9 of chapter 4. And it's interesting because we're going through this and we're just reading names. Like there's this guy, then his children, and then his children's children. And there's kind of like a cadence and an ebb and flow. And then all of a sudden in verse 9, we read this. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And so God granted him what he requested. Just two verses. There's no other mentions of Jabez in the Bible directly, perhaps implied in the previous chapter. We'll get to that in just a second. But this little power pocket of scriptures that we know about 10, 15 years ago is a big thing in the church. You know, different things come and go in the church at different generations. And the prayer of Jabez was a big deal for a lot of people. A lot of books came out, kids' books and stuff like that. But just in its own merit, it's two verses that have a lot of interesting background to them. So first of all, he's in the line of Judah. So we know he's from the tribe of Judah. Back in chapter 2 and verse 55, it mentions the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez. So it's possible, if not probable, the village of Jabez was named after this Jabez. Now, we don't know that for sure, but it seems possible because in the context of Scripture, it came up, there's a village, and then his name pops up. And by the way, we've already seen this, where people's names are mentioned, and then a village was named after them. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Like when you go to the Seagerstrom Center, that's the famous Seagerstrom family. When you're in Huntington Beach, Huntington was a business investor who was going to build casinos like Atlantic City back about 1910, and instead he discovered oil, right? And the rest is history. Stanton was his partner, and so we're in the city of Stanton. That's a town named after someone as well, right? That's, that's how that works. So anyways, we can relate to that in our own world that that's possible for Jabez. Whether it's named after him or not, what we do know is he had, his mom gave him a name, not particularly a flattering one either, and we'll get to that. He requested five things of the Lord, and God answered his request for those five things that he asked for. This is the context of Jabez. So first of all, we read that he was uh, more honorable than his brothers. This word implies, this is interesting, because I looked at this scripture through quite a quite a few different translations and, you know, strong concordance. I just want to just get these words because these words are important and different translations have different use of words for our English language. And as you know, sometimes words get lost in the language. For example, like, you know, the, the word gnarly that surfers use, you can't translate into Spanish. You know, when I coach a Chilean team, I try to say, dude, it's gnarly. They're like, just did not get it. And the same way, like how Chileans would use dale, dale, like it, it means so many different things that I just couldn't understand, like you're using that word again, but it's totally different than last time. And we understand that with languages. So that's why with the prayer of Jabez, I want to take a deeper look. And so in the original Hebrew word for noble here, it has this idea of weight. So it's like, weight, what's that all about? Well, to have weight either negative or positive. In other words, weight like a burden or weight as a positive, like lots of wealth. Or even like almost like how we say you tilt the room, like someone tilts the room. So his presence had a weight to it. Now we know from what's described of him, it wouldn't have been a negative weight. It would have been a positive one. He did prosper. He asked to prosper and God did prosper him. So he's that guy that tilted the room. And we're told he was more noble than his brothers. So he's not the only one of the family. He's just the one that mom called him sorrow. 
That's the name she gave her son. Jennifer and I had interesting conversation the night talking about this, how all four of our children, we gave them a name with intention. Hannah, we named after Hannah in the Bible, after we lost our first son, and then, you know, Hannah cried out in the Bible for her child, and God gave her a son. There's more to it than that. Her middle name is Joy, because we knew that she would turn our sorrow into joy. So Hannah Joy Baran, and that's what Hannah's done for 32 years plus. She's brought us joy. So uh, Leah we named because I felt like Leah was always going to be in Hannah's shadow. See, there's the human failure of parents. So we called her Leah, which actually means mad cow in Hebrew, like crazy cow. We've had fun with that for 30 years because if there ever was a crazy cow, it is Leah. Vaca uh, loca, right? Okay. And, uh, but she's her own person has definitely never been in Hannah's shadow. But we called her Leah because Leah, of course, looked for fulfillment in a man, and then she found fulfillment in the Lord, if you recall the story of Leah in the book of Genesis. And we wanted to make sure that Leah found her fulfillment not being in anyone's shadow, her sister's shadow, or another woman's shadow, but in the Lord. Timothy, we named Timothy because there in Virginia Beach, when I was pastoring the church, I was going through 1 Timothy when he was born, and it's such a beautiful book, and Timothy was a was called by the Lord, but had to be exhorted at times. And so we called our son. We were going to call him Josiah, actually, because we just taught on Josiah. I don't need to give you a reason why you'd call a boy Josiah. But we were going to call him Josiah until the day he was born. And when he was born, Jennifer said, his name's Timothy. I'm like, it is. But his middle name is still Josiah. Luke, for various reasons, was called Luke. But when we were in Vermont, I taught the Gospel of Luke, the one book I taught there in the hotel, we came back to California, she got pregnant with Luke, and then he was born, and we called him Luke. So we have two Old Testament names, Hannah and Leah, and two New Testament t- names, Timmy and Luke. And there was a reason and intention with each of their names. I'll bring that up because Jabez's mom had other children, but she chose to call, call him Pain. Now, there are a few translations that translate this sorrow. And if you look up the word, it, it, it's... It's actually only used twice in the Bible. It's used in Isaiah chapter 14 once. And it does have the idea that it could be sorrowful or pain. So it's a tricky word. And then when you look at different translations, which I did, it's almost up to the translators to decide on this, arc, this ancient Hebrew word. Did she call her son like, I had sorrow and so I'm calling him sorrow, or I had pain, like pain and labor, and I'm calling him pain. And based upon the interpretation and the translation of the word, it would seem she had a lot of pain in delivery and named him pain from her delivery. Which, you know, I have a lot of opinions on that. If you recall, when Rachel was giving childbirth to her son before she died in labor, she called him son of my sorrow. But Jacob refused to let his son have that name and change his name to uh, son of my right hand, Benjamin. So the last thing she did before she stepped into eternity was put a name on her son, my sorrow. And ben, Jacob's like, I'm heartbroken because the woman I love just died, but we're not going to call Benjamin Ben-Ami, son of sorrow. He's going to be the son of my right hand. And so we, we understand this, especially in Bible culture, names are very important. So from the time he went to, you know, pre-K class and kindergarten and school or whatever in the village, he's identified. His name is an identity, Sorrow, pain. Now, that's a tough one to put on a kid. And I've been saying for years, we have to watch our words and we have to watch our attitudes and we have to watch our comments and what we say. Even today, Timothy came by, our son, and I apologize for something I said the other day off cuff um, on just when I was at his new house. And I said something later on, I was like, why did I say that? That sounded kind of like 
like a dad thing, you know, like all of a sudden if you, you know, get your act, it just, it didn't need to be said. Like I just said something that was like, it wasn't meant to be negative or cutting, it just, it just, I didn't need to say it. And I thought he could have taken that the wrong way, you know, it had to do with managing your money. And um, it, it wasn't a big, profound, deep thing, but it just wasn't, I didn't need to say it. So I told him this morning, hey, Tim, I'm sorry for I said, oh, it's okay, dad, no big deal. I get it too, you know, but still, we have, to, we have to think about what we say and what we put on people, especially young people and kids, right? Like we do. This kid's name was Payne. And we can only know in any culture, that's just, people would have fun with that at kindergarten. Yeah, your mom named you Payne. And I just think it's kind of unfair that her, her, she put what she experienced in life and put it on him and made him experience it his whole life in his name. And so we'll get past that tonight and see how even in his Faith with the Lord, how he rose above the name that his mom gave him. And it's ironic, because I don't know what she named her other kids, but the one she named Pain was a blessing to the Lord and to everyone around him. That much we know for sure. So as we look at this text, in it, beyond this context I just gave, he asked for five things. He asked that he would be blessed, that his territory would be enlarged, that the hand of the Lord would be with him, that God would keep him from evil and he would not cause pain. Five things. And we're told by the Holy Spirit that the Lord answered his prayer. So he asked for five things. And they're pretty broad. It's basically saying, bless me, Lord. But the Lord heard his prayer and answered those five things. And as I looked at these five topics tonight, I thought, like, you know, we've covered some of these things. And I don't really want to do a five-point message. But really how my mind's been thinking lately and when I was looking at the text what really the Lord's been teaching me a lot about increase and multiplication and compound increase and exponential increase with the kingdom of God and these things and so when I looked at this text what really got my intention in the year of 2023 is where after he says that you would bless me indeed enlarge my territory and this is the part of the prayer that's very famous to most people because I think it's safe to say we want to enlarge our territory however you'd interpret that I want to enlarge my thinking capacities that I can have a clearer mind and not have a fuzzy mind the older I get. Like, I want to be able to think sharp. I want to increase my knowledge that's biblical and beneficial for the rest of my life and the human experience. I want to increase my boundaries for good health. I had a little flare-up today uh, for a health issue that I haven't had since back in August. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I've just been thanking the Lord for good health. And then today he gave me a, just a little thing that's reminding me like a little bit of pain will get my attention. And wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? A little bit of physical pain, that changes your world right away. You can pray for all these things you want to pray for, but the moment you are in physical pain, in my case, diverticulitis, the moment you are in physical pain, hey, all you know and care about that moment is your pain. So we say enlarge our territories. In some people's case, that would be to be healed from physical infirmity or pain. Enlarge our territories would be resolve certain financial issues. Enlarge our territories, a clarity of vision and ministry. It could mean any number of things. But the idea of enlarging your territory is certainly is one of personal increase. And when the Lord gives us increase, personally, it's going to have temporal increase and eternal increase. And whatever temporal increase we get, we want to make sure it's moving toward eternal increase. Or as Jesus said to the woman at the well, drink from this water, you'll thirst again. Temporal increase, water, that driving force. But the water I give will spring up to everlasting life. 
eternal increase. And so even with humanitarian aid, you can dig, well, you can dig wells of water around the world for people with bad water and give them physical, temporal water. But if you do it in Jesus' name, you give them the temporal water and the eternal water. Yes and amen. So when we think about increase, whether it's good health, sharper thinking, a better job, better finances, you know, a clearer vision of the kingdom of God and how to be used the Lord, whatever happens in the temporal, we want to be working toward the eternal, because otherwise we just leave it behind, right? They asked of Rockefeller how much he left behind, and someone said, all of it, right? Like, we, we, whatever we're doing in the temporal, we want moving toward the eternal. Ultimately, that's what we want. We're going to contrast those things later tonight. So with this in mind, I just want to focus on this topic that he said that you would enlarge my borders. And so tonight, the name of our message, the main topic is the God of increase. And I want to talk about God increasing his work in our lives through time and eternity. First of all, the first thing that God says to humanity in the Bible is he said, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. Genesis 1.28. Before sin, when God made man and then made Eve from man, when he spoke to his created being, who he made in his image, God said, let us make man in our image, and woman is the same. The very first thing in revealing himself, the creator to the created, says, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. And that should get our attention. The first sentence of intellect and understanding from God of the universe to the crown jewel of the universe, humanity, is he says, before sin, be fruitful and multiply. Now, you might say, okay, Joey, yeah, like more human beings. Correct. But also in Genesis 2, he was given, they were given a task in the garden of the things that God had for them. There was a labor designed by God for Adam and Eve before sin. So as we talked last week about Abram and Abraham, in Adam all sin and die, but in the second Adam, Christ all are made alive. And we're not just saved from sin and death, but we're saved to fruit and glory. And when Christ works in our life and we become a new creation, we've not just passed from death, but we've gone on to life. And we're not just to be saved with a life insurance policy for the day of the Lord, but we're restored. God is restoring what's lost and he's transforming what's lost to get us on track to be his workmanship. So again, we're not saved by works of the flesh and self-righteousness, but we're saved in that righteousness of Christ, like Abraham believed God was kind of for righteousness. And then we're called to a work. We're called to a life of faith. This was our topic last week. People that just think getting saved is going forward at a crusade or something and just going home and not being different completely miss it. We're not just saved from death, we're saved to life. And the whole purpose of Christ's coming is to restore that which is lost and lead us in abundant life, in eternal life, in this life, and moving toward the eternal life. And so when we think about Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, it's more than just the temporal. It's their whole existence and their purpose. The perfect man and the perfect woman. And even after the fall, there's always been a, a work that God would do in the lives of people of faith. So whether, you know, you go to Hebrews 11, and we see how Abel, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch walked with God and was not, and then Noah, by faith, was moved with godly fear and prepared for the saving of his household with the building of the ark, and so on and so forth. So the very first thing God ever said, don't miss this, WG. The very first thing God said to his created being, because he's the potter and we're the clay. I have blessed you, be fruitful and multiply. The first two things in Jabez's prayer is that you would bless me and I would, you would increase my territory. Now, 
Let's talk about the increase. So if we say, God, increase me, increase my influence, increase my health, increase my wealth, increase my, my kingdom, the, the vision, the calling, the gifts and the calling of God, the, the, the legacy of my life for all eternity, increase that. Well, we know there's certain things that God will bless and increase, and there's certain things God won't bless and increase. Like it says in James, you ask and have not because you ask amiss. And God always looks at the heart. So we want to make sure that our asking and our seeking to increase, that we set ourselves up to increase. Like if you're just living in sin and say, Lord, bless me and, you know, increase me, well, why would he do that? He wouldn't do that. You might increase yourself, but that's not consistent with his will. So let's talk about this tonight. And again, I'm, I'm going to pull my points topically like I did last week, which is kind of unusual for me. But I think in Chronicles, it's a good fit for where we're at in the text right now, especially coming after Kings. So the number one thing we're going to look at, first of all, is the increase in the word of God. So if we increase in the word of God, we're going to increase. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 13. I did this last week where I had some passages I shared with you. But in Matthew chapter 13, we're talking about God of the increase. And if we want God to increase us in just the, the kingdom here and now for all eternity, we need to understand that he is the God of increase. He's actually the God of multiplication. Even when he subtracts, he's moving toward increase. For example, I am the vine, you're the branches, and I've pruned you that you might bear what? More fruit. When Job lost everything, what do we read? God gave him more than he had at the beginning. So even in God's kingdom, it's addition, subtraction, and always moving toward multiplication. And in Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower, however, sower, however you look at it. But I want to read this to you because this deals with the word of God, and it deals with receiving the word of God, believing the word of God, obeying the word of God, and being the word of God. So in Matthew 13, Jesus said this. He spoke this parable. He said to them many things in parables, saying, verse 3, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them, and some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a, a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he interprets this parable for him, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 13. So he explains it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his or her heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside, but he who received the seed on stony place. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he or she, that person who received the seed on the good ground, is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. That's a hundredfold return, worship generation, and this is Jesus' teaching. This is Jesus' teaching 
on how the word of God works in the heart of people who believe it, receive it, obey it, and go forward in it. It goes 30, 60, 100 fold. Our God is the God of the expanding territory. Our God is the God of increase and the God who multiplies. And in this parable of the sower, he speaks of multiplication. Now, this is interesting. You financial people, stay with this one. The seed went in four hearts. You might say that's four stocks that the Holy Spirit invested in. Four adventure, venture capital enterprises. One, two, three, and four. Four it went. You invested in this stock. You invested in that one. You invested this one and that one. This, the word of God went into four. 75% of them failed. Three of the four failed with no return on investment. Nothing. That works with, you know, when you invest in stocks. That happens, right? It's kind of a guessing game sometimes. You do your educated guess and then, you know, things can just happen, right? 75% was a failed investment. Four, in the context, it would be four people. Four people heard the word of God. One, the devil ripped it out. One, the person's like, yay, praise the Lord. And then they had a bad day, forget the Lord. The other one's like, oh, I'm going to serve the Lord. And they're like, but I'm going to serve uh, mammon first. And they choked it out. The fourth one's like, I believe it. I receive it. I'm living it. I'm reading it. I'm taking it. I'm, I'm forward. That, that investment, listen, this is how exponential works and compound and cumulative works. 25% that received it multiplies 100%. So what that shows us, if your heart's right and my heart's right with the Lord and we hear the word, receive the word, and apply the word and believe the word, we're given 100% return from the 20% that came back positive for the investor, God of the universe, in this parable. I want to be the good stock. You know, the way certain stocks work is you buy the cluster, right? Like the mutual fund or whatever, and, and they kind of go together, and some you can kind of update all the time. But you, let's just say you have 20 stocks in a fund, and you're looking at them, and this, this one's a dog. And sooner they're like, I've lost with this stock long enough. And you tell your broker, get rid of that one and replace it with a new one. Like, that happens, right? That's how it works for you people that have stocks and invest like that. You and I want to be the woman and the man that of four soils that were for sure the one that returns 30, 60, 100 fold by believing the word, applying the word, and living the word. We want to be a good return investment for King Jesus and the living word. Now, Jennifer, my wife, and you ladies from the women's ministry, you know this, you've been memorizing scriptures, right? I think there's like 100 of them. I'm like, wow. I mean, all men should pastor a church where a number of women are memorizing 100 scriptures, by the way. Like, if that's, if that's a part of the ministry that you pastor, good for you, so good for me. Thank you, ladies, for memorizing 100 scriptures. But anyways, Jennifer didn't tell me this, and so randomly I said, hey, can, can you, like, you know, when the kids come to Anthony and say they want, to mem- they want to tell you the scripture so they get the little gift from the goodie bag? And I was like, so Jennifer and I are there, and I go, hey, hey, can you, can you, can you give me some of the scriptures? She's like, and here we go. And it's like, it's like she was wrapping the cadence. She's like, you know, John 3, John 1, all this stuff, Romans 5. I was like, oh, yeah. And it was like, I was like, my wife's so hot. She's just like, all these scriptures. <laughs> then she got to Joshua uh, 1.8. Now, listen, I can't even paraphrase Joshua 1.8. That's why I have a note for it tonight. But she goes, oh, let me do Joshua 1.8. And then she kind of had a couple of words. She's like, look, she gives me the card. And she's like, okay, let me read you. Okay, let's do this. And I'm like, we're kind of like doing trades. I'm like, sounds like, you know, that kind of a thing. 
But I want to put Joshua 1.8 with that text we just read in Matthew, because I, I want you to connect this. So Joshua 1.8 says this, and this is when Joshua is going to go into the land and lead the people. The, this book of the law, God's word, book of the law at that time, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. See, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the first study I ever heard at Calvary Chapel Vista in the autumn of 1987 when God was calling me to ministry. Very appropriate. This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe it to do according to all that is written in it, the whole counsel of God, Calvary Chapel movement, right? Pastor Chuck Smith. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's increase. That's the God of increase. That's multiplying what God's called us to do. It's increase. And the word of God is the key. It is the key to it all that we apply the word of God. So I just thought how appropriate that like last night when Jennifer was quoting those scriptures for me, I thought this is really what it's all about because the word of God is truth and the word of God builds up our faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, of course. So you see, you look at Joshua going into the land, coming from the law of God from Deuteronomy, and you look at what Jesus taught in this parable. God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to have to prosper, to be successful, Old Testament, New Testament. He wants us to have increase. I believe he wants to multiply us. But the multiplication that begins all multiplication is for you and I to increase in our knowledge, faith, believe, application, holding fast to and obedience to the word of God. So if we want to expand our boundaries, it's going to always begin with more time in God's word. And even as Jennifer recited all those Bible verses for me, my faith was growing. It was reaffirming how I've lived my life for 35 years as she's reading Romans 6 and Romans 5. And it's like, just when you hear it, and maybe you can relate to this, but back in the day when Pastor Chuck used to teach on Sunday nights at Calvary Costa Mesa, he'd read like three, four, five chapters. I didn't even need him to teach anything. Him just reading the scriptures out loud sometimes, I'd just be taking notes like, oh my goodness, the word's speaking to me. Just a reminder, if we want to see our territory enlarged, it's going to always begin by enlarging our desire, our time, our focus, and obedience to the Word of God. Increase in the Word of God, then we can increase and prosper and have success in other areas that God wants to expand us. Now, the second thing we see tonight, and by the way, Jabez, when, when your mom gives you name sorrow, how do you fix that? Meditate on the Word of God, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm sure the more Jabez thought about the law of God, meditate on the, the Word of God and the things of God, like, well, you know, mom did what she did. And the brother's like, yeah, mom caused you pain because you're, you're a pain. You know, whatever. But I'm reading the word of God and the word of God's elevating me beyond any label that anyone gave me. And all the promises in Moses are yes and amen because he's a prelude to Christ. And in Christ, all the promises are yes and amen. WG, yes and amen. That's the, that's the way it is. Increase in the word and then in obedience to the word, then greater increases can come. The second thing we see is the increase in the spirit of God. There in Acts chapter 2, we read there in Acts 1-8, we know that Jesus said to the disciples, oh, is this the time for the kingdom? He's like, no, it's not the time. That's not for you to worry about. But you shall remain in Jerusalem, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But he told them in Acts 1-8, 
to remain in Jerusalem to tarry, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And for us to enlarge our territory, apart from increasing the word of God, is to increase in the spirit of God in our life. Now, if Jabez's faith would grow beyond his name by increasing in the word of God, the more he, he would increase in the spirit, the more we would increase in the spirit, we're not going to cause sorrow to anybody because sin causes sorrow and the Holy Spirit produces obedience. There's no sorrow in obedience to the things of God. A spirit-filled woman is going to honor the Lord and be a blessing to planet Earth. A spirit-filled man is going to walk with the Lord, set their mind on things of the Lord, and be a blessing to planet Earth. Body of Christ, if we're spirit-filled, we are not going to cause sorrow. We're going to cause blessings and our territory will increase because in walking in the Spirit, we'll become more like Christ. And again, on the numerical increase, in Acts chapter 2, there's about 120 people praying in the upper room. Three years of ministry for Jesus, and there's about 120 people in that upper room. But then on the day of Pentecost, in chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, about 120, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they're sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So then it was all, as you know, the commotion in Jerusalem was quite a bit that day. They said they'd been drinking. Peter said, we've not been drinking. This is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel and what he said that my Spirit will be poured on on your young men and your young women and all that. So then he preaches and it says that they were cut to the heart. The people were cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit because they were in sin. Because Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he'll draw all men to himself. And so that conviction was there. And so Peter preached. He exhorted them, be saved, uh, receive the Holy Spirit, be baptized. And they did. And 3,000 people were added. Worship generation, once again, this is increase. We've gone from 120 to 3,000 in one day with the Spirit of God. You had tongues of fire, and you had the power of heaven and the witness of heaven on someone's life. You give me a spiritful woman, a spiritful man. You give me them functioning with the gifts properly in the Holy Spirit. You put the tongues of fire upon them, and I'm telling you, you're going to get an increase. You need an increase of the witness of Christ and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. If we're going to increase and expand our boundary and multiply our presence and our purpose in life, not only are we going to increase in the word of God, we're going to increase in the spirit of God. The day of Pentecost, God who said, be fruitful and multiply, on the birth of the church, God who said on the birth of creation to man, I have blessed you, be fruitful, multiply. On the birth of the church, his kingdom on earth in us, extending to this day. On that day, 120 people went to 3,000. And it says it continued to increase. And the book of Acts has addition, subtraction, and then again, multiplication. And look at us tonight. You talk about the law of compound effect and exponential growth. Every one of us here who is born again in the spirit is an extension of of this ministry on this day, on the day of Pentecost. Somebody heard the gospel and it went through them to us. We're the exponential return on the investment of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. His fruit is still going. 
is producing dividends for all eternity to this day, right now, in this room, in our lives. And those who partook it and were part of it, they get to share in it too. The first Bible study that really impacted me for the gospel of Jesus Christ to really understand it was Pastor Chuck Smith teaching on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On that day in my car with a cassette tape, driving through Lacadia on Interstate 5, I understood how significant it was to believe that Jesus physically rose from the grave. And then I ordered about 12 Chuck tapes, and the rest was history. You see, if I'm the fruit of Pastor Chuck Smith, he is the fruit of Amy Semper Fi in the Foursquare movement, and she's the fruit of somebody somewhere before Foursquare came around during the Azusa Street revivals in 1901, 1902. You see the legacy? You talk about the people of Judah looking for their Ancestry.com in the promised land. How about our Ancestry.com in Jesus' name, how we got saved and who we're part of? There's just about 15,000 denominations on planet Earth. There's a lot of Ancestry out there. But we're Ancestry.com, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. The dove is still pretty relevant. Still pretty fresh, that dove. So think about this. Pastor Chuck let me share my testimony in 1987 on a Thursday night at Calvary Costa Mesa. They showed a clip from me winning the Pipe Masters. I gave an invitation. A number of people came forward. Okay. We ended up doing three years of drug and alcohol ministry at Calvary Vista. Went to start the church in Hampton Roads. Planted church in Newport News with Tony Clark, the first black pastor of a white church in the South. Tony Clark just celebrated 25 years of Calvary Chapel Newport News. I went there on Warwick Boulevard three years ago, and there was about 1,200 people at that service. I remember you saying, Joey, I can't do it. I'm going to take over a white church. I'm like, well, I'll take over a black church. Come on now. Let's go. Let's go right now. You can do it, Tony. He's like, bro, bro, I don't know. I'm like, listen, man, you can do it. The church in Virginia doesn't exist that I planted. The church in Vermont doesn't exist that I planted. But Tony Clark, that's my fruit. Because I told him to come back and start that church. And he did a home fellowship with a bunch of white people that we'd started. Compound exponential growth. It's just multiplying. See, I'll step into eternity, and you think for 25 years, Tony Clark, who's he ministered to, white, black, and you know, Asian, everybody else that makes up planet Earth there, Newport News, and those people, one in four, goes for 100%, 100 return. I want to be in eternity, and it's just going to be like dividends out of control working for me in eternity, just like Pastor Chuck right now. You can sell Marietta, and you can sell these other places, but the fruit that Pastor Chuck did during the Jesus Revolution, it goes on and on and on and on. And it's surely not limited to the Calvary Chapel movement. That's the work of the Spirit. So get filled with the Spirit. Ask for the Spirit. Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, seek, knock, and ask for what? The Holy Spirit. Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit. Start singing songs like you got some joy and you believe these things. Right? Galatians says, sow to the Spirit and you'll reap life. Man, we want to, man, let's, let's, let's increase in the Spirit. See, we ask We seek, we think, we sow, and we walk in the Spirit. We set our mind on things of the Spirit. Because when the Spirit's working, 120 become 3,000. And when people respond to the Spirit, the fruit goes on and on and on. How about Greg Laurie? All those stadiums, the stadium, 30 years of the stadium, all those people, again, exponential growth, people. See, because the fruit goes on and on and on. If Jesus said that a cup of cold water in his name has reward in eternity, how much more so when, like, courts out there sharing the gospel with people, right? Like, you, you just, it's just, you're just, like, Green Gretzky, you miss all the shots you never take, so take some shots with the Spirit. To increase our boundaries, we want to increase in the Word, and we want to increase in the Spirit. 
And by the way, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we're now being transformed as dimly in a mirror, but we're being transformed from glory to glory, transformed from glory to glory. And it says, but we with all unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image. See, we're not just saved from sin, we're saved to glory. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, we want our boundaries and our tent to expand. That time with Jesus being spirit-filled, we're being transformed from glory to glory. See, if increasing the word builds us up in truth and faith, increasing the Holy Spirit builds us up in the glory and makes us more like Christ and makes the world a better place. So let's grow and let's expand. Let's increase. Let's, op- let's open our territories in the spirit. So number one, increase in the word of God. Number two, increase in the spirit of God. And then finally, number three, increase in the kingdom of God. Matthew 25, I'm going to read to you now from Matthew 25. In Matthew 25 is that parable of the the minas, the talents. It's also the minas in Luke's gospel. Not like physical talent, like you can sing or good athlete, but economic talent. Now, what's important about Matthew 25 is the context. The parable before it is talking about the return of the Lord, and the parable after it is talking about the return of the Lord. Therefore, contextually, there's every reason to believe that Jesus is giving us a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, about what it's like to stand before the Lord on the day of the Lord in eternity. I mean, that's, that's the soundest interpretation contextually for Matthew 25. And as we look at Matthew 25... I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to talk about increasing in the kingdom of God. Because we're increasing in the word of God, we're increasing in the spirit of God. But Jesus is talking about increasing the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of heaven, verse 14, is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And one, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. So in other words, financial stewardship based upon financial capabilities. See, if you raise your financial capabilities, God might give you more. If you don't, then you just got what you got. Educate yourself, beneficial knowledge, get better. Show the Lord you can be trusted with more. He went on a journey. And then, verse 8, 16, Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them, and he made five talents. So he, he got busy. He got his hustle on. Verse 17, And likewise, he who also received two gained two more. And again, five, five to ten is a 100% return. Two to four is a 100% return, worship generation. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, hey, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've, I've gained five more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In other words, both got 100% return with different quantities. Both got the same commendation, identical, by the way. Verse 24. Then he received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground, Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, gather I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own interest. So take the talent from him, that that investment money, and give it to him who has ten. For everyone who has more, more will be given. 
and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, then verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. See, that goes right into more second coming stuff. Now, what's interesting about this passage, again, I already pointed out that the one that got 5 to 10 is 100% return. Same commendation as the one that got 2 to 4. And the one who did nothing, who just buried the money, and it's money. See, I love that God teaches with money because everybody understands money. Like, we all understand money. Homeless people understand money. Everybody understands money. Follow the money trail, follow the time trail. If you chart your time and what you do with your day, you will know what you're living for. Just do it for two weeks, and you'll figure out what you're really living for and what motivates you, in case you don't know. Follow the money trail, and you can see what you spend your money on. Like, even if, like, if you're homeless and you're hungry, you, you, will, you will find a way to find money to get food and eat. If you're homeless or an alcoholic, you will find money to buy alcohol and get alcohol. My sister was homeless for five years. She was very motivated to get alcohol, and she found ways to do it. And she'd been sober for six years, and she loves Jesus, and she's very motivated to go to work on time and shine for the Lord. So yes and amen. You follow the money trail, follow the time trail. There's 100% return for both of them. And again, this is the key. This is, the, this is this parable is like the kingdom of God, your life, my life. This is our calling with the Lord. This parable is like, Joey, this is your workmanship. This is your divine purpose in life. This is your destiny. Now go get it. That's what this is like. This is your destiny. This context is your life and what you're doing with it, your time, your energy, and your resources. What are you doing with it? You got your hustle on for Jesus, or you're like, well, whatever, you know, I got saved, and I'm saved from something, but I'm not walking toward anything. See, that's what that person's like. The person who buries their talent, like the person says, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved, brother. You saved? Yeah, we're all saved. No, you're saved from this to become this. And that's this parable. You got one, go get two. You got two, go get four. You got five, get ten. Get Get busy about the kingdom. When this parable is taught in Luke 19, or in the Luke passages, chapter 16 through 19, there's a few like this. It says the one that got 10 gets 10 cities. So that's an increase, huh? You get 10 minus, you get 10 cities. How much hustle would you and I have on if we did one thing faithful, and each time they did something faithful, we get stewardship of a city? That'd be pretty radical. That's literally the interpretation in Luke's gospel on these principles. These are kingdom principles. Our time, our energy, and our resources. And that's how we're told this so bountifully, of our time, our energy, and our resources. Some people have more time. Some people have more energy. Some people have more resources. And some people have it all. What we know is this, what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians, as you sow, you shall, and if you sow sparingly, you will, and if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. It's the law of cause and effect. What you put in is what you get out, and that's the way God designed his universe. That's just the way it is. That's exactly the way it is. As a man sows, so shall they reap. Exactly what we put in to get back. What you put in There's no pie in the sky. There's no free lottery at the kingdom of God. What you put in, not works to be saved, but the workmanship coming from being saved, what you put in is what you're going to get out, not just in time, but for all eternity. Now, on the day of the Lord, do you want to have the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant? Because we talk about that. What did Billy Graham always say? I just want to stand before the Lord. He told Dan, rather, I just want to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
which is good news for all of us if we hear that. But listen, from the God of increase, the God who multiplies, the God who the first thing he said to humanity is, I blessed you, be fruitful, multiply. Listen to what he says in this parable, because we often miss it. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. He's the God of increase. And where we're faithful, he will give more. Because to him or her who has, more will be given. So it's faithfulness with our time. It's the Lord's. Our energy. It's the Lord's. And our resources. What does a man or woman have that the Lord didn't give it to him in the first place? It's the Lord. We want the God of increase to bless us in every facet of life. And in the end, that's what he wants to do as well. When, he, when he, God looks at your life, just think of Genesis 1, where he wants to pronounce blessings on you and pronounce that multiplication. So I leave you with this text from Ephesians 3 on increasing the kingdom. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, to all generations forever and ever. That's what God wants to do in our lives, personally and in his church universally. He wants to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask by the power that works in us. But to have that increase, the increase begins with the right heart shaped by the word of God and obeying it. The increase extends with being spiritful woman, spiritful man. So our increase is based upon spiritual things and eternal things, even though we're here in time, it's all for eternity. And ultimately, the increase expands as we're all in and the kingdom is working in our life with the totality of our life, of our time, resources, and energy. That's the woman, that's the man who will be blessed on the day of the Lord. We're saved from something, and we're saved to something. Someday we're going to stand before the Lord, and I want all of us to stand in glory. And I want, I want him. I want you, because I've done a lot of memorials for a lot of people in 35 years of ministry. I mean, I've done a lot of memorials for a lot of people. I've done last rites. I've put a lot of people in eternity. People from this church, people from not from this church, people from all sorts of places. And it makes me think about what it's going to be like when I'm gone. And even today, during worship, when Scott was leading us in worship, I started thinking about all these people I know who are gone that used to be here with us. And someday we'll all be gone. Everyone in this room will all be in eternity. And I want you to see that day. I just want to tell you right now, as a pastor of the church, I want you, and anyone that's ever sat under my teaching, sat under my teaching, even heard one message on K-Wave, watched Sunriders, or watched Changes with Brian Jennings' movie, anyone that's ever heard anything that Christ has done in my life, I want them to be inspired and influenced to live that life of Christ. So when you stand before the Lord, he will look at you and look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that he will say, you were faithful in a few things, and now I'm going to increase your things. Because that's the real test. All that's happening here is for the glory that's there. And I do believe when we're in glory there, that all that we did here that's exponential and compounded will continue to roll for time and eternity. Because God's universe is math, and God's universe has no ending. Interesting thought, if people have enough money, they'll have so much money they can't give it all away. That's exponential growth. Albert Einstein talked about this. All the billionaires gravitate toward this. Andrew Carnegie, these guys, they made so much money that their money made so much money they couldn't give it away fast enough. Bill Gates, 
was worth $50 million in 1996. He's worth $110 billion now, and he's given away over $60 billion since then. He can't give the money away fast enough because the compound exponential growth of his money in time, space, and matter. That's his temporal body of Christ. I'm talking about our eternal. I want way more than what Bill Gates has for the temporal in eternal. Yes and amen.